are entering the Freedom Hut. The prospects for getting that wall Trump promised are shaky. We will break that down. What's going to happen with this budget deal? What does outgoing Speaker of the House Paul Ryan say about his Republican legacy? And also a look at the dual track rule of law for left and right in this country. Coming up on the Buck Sexton Show. This This is the Buck Sexton Show. Where the mission mission is to decode what really matters with actionable intelligence. One small thing. Make no mistake. America. You're a great American. Again. The Buck Sexton Show begins. Former CIA analyst. Former member of the NYPD. Buck Sexton. It is Buck Sexton. Now. Welcome to the Buck Sexton Show, everybody. Look, it's been a tough week for the Trump team. I, I, let's just say it. Uh, this is not where we wanted to be at this point in the year. And no, I'm not just talking about the Fed raising rates, the stock market sliding down, the Dow Jones, wow, swung 900 points. I mean, there's a lot, a lot of volatility in the market, uncertainty about the future. Um, that's, that's all the kind of stuff that we would expect at this point, no matter what. You know, there's a market correction underway. None of this is all that surprising. Um, but we were promised a wall. You know, we could play for you just endless montages and sound bites of Trump saying the big, beautiful wall, going to build the wall. We were promised a wall. I need to know from this administration, from the president, how that's going to happen now. About a week ago, Trump was saying, we're, we're going to shut down. We're going to have that fight. I mean, remember, we discussed it here on the show. That throwdown he had with Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer in the Oval Office. You know, there were people like me who didn't see the Trump phenomenon early on. You know, I, I had my reservations. And one of my biggest reservations was, is he just saying this stuff? Now, that said, I didn't see any other option better than Hillary. And I think putting him in the position to to win was the right move no matter what. So, I mean, I have no regrets. I have no regrets, but I do have concerns about where this is going with Trump. Now, I I do have my worries um, because this was a central promise. And this would have been one of those times where we could have said, you know, despite all the pressure, all the opposition, all of the mainstream media gathered together in this effort to try and tear down this president, he will have, he would have pushed through and kept faith with his base and kept faith with the promises that he made. And I don't see how he walks away from this right now without at least expecting those of us who are really rooting for him and supporting him and people like me who are out there openly defending him. You know, it's not always easy. It's not, it's not fun to have to go on TV sometimes when they say, you know, why did Donald Trump's charity pay the $11 Boy Scout fee for his son 20 years ago? I mean, one, who cares, right? But two, I don't know, why did they do that? That seems strange. I don't like having to be in a position where I, you know, every time he calls somebody horse face or there's some other, you know, no. There are things that I would prefer don't come from this administration. Now, this doesn't mean I don't support the administration. It just means that there is a give and take here. And he represents a movement. 
I, I, I did not have some massive change of heart where I think that, you know, Trump is, is a leader for all time based on his, uh, his personal conduct. Or no. We were supposed to be able to count on Trump to follow through to be a weapon against the establishment, to break down the old order, and to follow through on promises. We still may be there. I'm hoping that in a week, in a month, in a year, I'll think back on, on this time on this show, and I'll say, oh, man, Buck, and I was, you know, I, I was putting the, putting the cart before the horse, or I was getting ahead of my skis, or, you know, think of whatever your cliche and your tired metaphor, all that stuff. I'm hoping that's the case. I think it may still be the case. Um, I'm I am optimistic as I'm as optimistic as somebody who's as cynical as politics as I am can be. But there is no way that I'm just going to let this slide. Yeah, we're going to go into a Democrat Congress because we are we are in we are going to be in full on defense mode starting in mid January, meaning. Those who are part of the conservative movement, those who are Trump supporters, we are going to be battening down the hatches. And we are heading into a squall. Democrats and the media want payback. The Mueller probe is not ending anytime soon. You know I've been saying that. Other people, oh, it's going to end by Labor Day. Oh, it's going to end by Christmas. Nope. This thing is going to go on and on and on because the purpose of it is to grind away at Trump and his supporters. The, the thing that motivates Weissman and Mueller and their team of angry Democrats is that they know the process is the punishment, and if they can just keep this thing going, it's a very effective means of stunting, of hobbling the Trump administration and its mission. It just has to keep doing what it does. They don't have to prove collusion. They never were going to prove collusion. That's a, it's a farce. It's a joke. But we can't count on executive orders either, by the way, to move the football down the field for Trump. Because all it takes is one judge in the Ninth Circuit, in the Fifth Circuit, in the whatever circuit, to say, sorry, Trump doesn't get his way. And by the time it, that gets up to the Supreme Court or it gets overturned, We'll be even closer to election day. And you know what happens, you know, a year from now, we're just in election mode. There's not going to be any policy. There's not going to be any any bills passed or anything important going on in that regard. So the first two years was when Trump really had the opening to do something meaningful, meaningful on immigration. And we have not gotten it yet. There may be a time when Trump can, you know, finally do this. You know, I also say, I don't know why he hasn't released more of the information about the Russia origin, a Russia uh, collusion investigation and its origins. He he told me, the president told me that he was, he was going to do that. He said, yeah, that that's, we're, we're looking at that. That's going to happen. Hasn't happened yet. It was not a good week for General Flynn this week. It has not been a good week for the administration. So we need to be honest about that. We're not effective in spreading the message. We're not effective supporters of the movement or activists or, well, you know, whatever, patriots, what, however you want to self-describe at this point in time in this country. Uh, we have to be honest about where things are and where this is all going and have to pressure where we can. 
And I mean, I'm here in D.C. I'm talking to all my people. I'm talking to people that are going in and out of the White House on a regular basis to talk to the people that are making these decisions. And I'm saying, look, you got you got to you guys got to make this happen. It's go time. And, you know, it's not too late. That's one of the reasons why I'm sitting here talking about this, because there are people I know who listen to this show here in D.C. who who have real leverage, sway and access and they can get the word out. They can tell people to tell the man himself, you've got to fight this fight. We were told we're heading into a shutdown. We were told that the president was willing to go to the mat on this. And that is not happening. And I have not gotten an acceptable answer as to why that is the case. Accountability, my friends. Accountability. We must enforce it ourselves. We must be willing to self-correct this movement, to assess where it's going, what it has accomplished. Yes, judges, great. Deregulation, great. Tax cuts, great. You know, we're all. You're aware of all that. I'm aware of all that. Not Hillary. Ah, great. Right. I mean, there, there's so much good stuff, and I am forever thankful to Trump for those things. And the movement and, and the, the political miracle that he pulled off is still incredible, but it's not enough. We're not there yet. You know, if, if this is going to be a momentous administration that is the equivalent of what Reagan was for 30 years after he was in office and still is in many ways to this day, Trump has got to be willing to have the tough fights. And we have... Haven't had it on. Haven't had it on healthcare. Haven't had it on immigration. And you know, keep in mind the president doesn't just have the Democrats to contend with. You know, we could get a major national security challenge here. Who knows what's going to happen? Yeah, there's the Chinese and their preparations to overtake us economically and militarily in the next twenty years. And but South China Sea, something could heat up really fast. All of a sudden, you're in the midst of a crisis. Terrorism, terrorism could come back. God forbid. And then the administration's embattled, just dealing with jihadists. You know, there's a lot of stuff that falls into those unknown, unknown categories that can come back and bite you. So the time is now. Trump has said that this is what we're going to do. We're going to have this fight. They're going to build a wall. I hope that he still intends to keep his promise. I think he will. But I expect him to. I was on uh, Fox last night, and we discussed uh, the the Flynn situation, and also this shutting down of the Trump charity. And it really it, it really turned into a discussion about the the two tiers of law in this country. It's one of the most damaging things that's happening in America right now. Um, it's a bigger concern for me in the near future than you know than other big structural problems. You know, the debt and things that we could talk about at length. Why is it that we have just come to accept that Republicans, for political purposes, get destroyed by abuse of the law and abuse of power from within the government, and Democrats get to skate, get to get off scot-free for for far worse violations? Why is it the Clinton Foundation doesn't ever get investigated by any attorney general, state attorney general, U.S. attorney general, AUSAs, nobody? 
No one's going after the Clinton Foundation. $2 billion raised. Big pay-to-play access scheme. But we're hearing about a Trump charity that they wanted to shut down two years ago that's got a little over a million dollars in total assets. Why the disparity? We'll tackle that in a moment. Stay with me. The judge was out of line for part of the hearing today. I think people were were surprised by that. But there's possible for two things to be true. It's possible that Flynn got, again, the the, the rough end of things here. He was set up by the FBI. It's also possible that he lied. These things can be true simultaneously. I think they were. Two tiers of justice, my friends. It's very troubling. It's very troubling because it's systemic. And if you know the history of how high-level prosecutions go, you know that Republicans always, always, always seem to just get the doubt of the benefit, as they say, and Democrats get the benefit of the doubt, and then some. They get the Hillary treatment, the white glove treatment, the, oh, we're not going to put you under oath, we're not going to prosecute you, we're not going to chase after you treatment. Victor Davis Hanson, one of the preeminent conservative minds, in my opinion, in this country, um, he exp- he's gone into this as well. He, he might sound like, well... I don't want to sound grandiose, sound like yours truly. Maybe I sound like Victor Davis Hanson sometimes. Uh, but he says that there is an inequality in the law. Play clip three. There's a really inequality of the law. I mean, we talk about elites, but think of the array of people who have not told the truth. Andrew McCabe was fired for lying to federal investigators. James Comey's uh, statements about the FISA court and the role of the dossier are not true. James Clapper lied under oath to Congress. John Brennan lied under oath to Congress. Susan Rice lied when she said she did not request uh, surveilled transcripts and have them on mask. Huma Abedin and Cheryl Mills lied when they said they did not have knowledge of the email server of, Hill, of their boss, Hillary Clinton. We've had a lot of wrongdoing by elites and nobody's, there's been no consequences. So the American yeah. people are not paranoid. They're saying, well, the Mueller investigation's going here, but they're going after misdemeanors or nothing. And here these felonies go completely unaddressed. That is at the heart of the issue. And that's what the phenomenon of the special counsel and all the different nonsense around it from the media has shown us. That there is... One set of laws or one, it's really, see, it's the application of the law. It's the decision to investigate and the decision to prosecute. The biggest one being the decision to prosecute. You know, because you can have an investigation and go through the motions and nothing happens. The real differentiation, the real point of departure here is, are you going to face charges? Because the decision to prosecute is the decision to destroy. Once you are getting prosecuted, you are suffering. You are being punished, even if you're innocent. That's the single biggest difference in this whole process. Who gets prosecuted is where you really have to look at the inequality. You know, we always focus on, oh, are there disparate sentences and who goes to prison longer? No, who gets prosecuted when it could go either way? You know, this is when we're talking about lying under oath, campaign finance violations, uh, you know, conspiracy to defraud the U.S. government, these kinds of charges. I don't know how we're supposed to trust the judgment of some of the people involved here, like Comey, who's a, a liar and a, and a snake and a self-dealer. Uh, why are we supposed to trust McCabe, a liar under oath? Why hasn't he been charged? I, I never get good answers to this. Weissman, who's 
Mueller's number two destroyed Arthur Anderson, cost so many people their jobs, ruined lives for what? To make a name for himself. Just like Patrick Fitzgerald, the special counsel appointed by James Comey to go after Scooter Libby and Cheney and Carl Rove. The Mueller investigation is not something that is apart from all this at all. It is just the heart of it. It is the center of it. Victor Davis Hanson continued. Play four. This Mueller investigation is not in isolation. We, we had, remember, from the day Trump was elected, we were told that the voting machines were fraudulent. We we're going to sue. And then there was in a group, remember about the Electoral College? We had to overturn, yeah, very well. get to the electors. And then we went to the 25th Amendment that Trump was unbalanced, and then that didn't work. Then we went to the emoluments clause. He'd profit even though his businesses had lost a billion dollars. And then we gone to the Mueller. And so there's a slow motion, if you will. I don't want to be too psychodramatic like MSNBC guests, but there is sort of a slow motion coup to overturn the elections when we should just take a deep breath and say we have a chance to adjudicate this in the next 2020 election and we do not want to destroy two and a half, you know, two over two centuries of American constitutional jurisprudence. He's right. It's just like what I've been telling you here. All these different constructions, all these different interpretations of the law, including ones that are just such a reach, such a stretch, so flimsy. The Logan Act, the Emoluments Clause, the 25th Amendment as applied to Trump because they don't like his tweets. All things meant to end this presidency using some legal mechanism. Now it's FEC violations. Ooh, the Federal Election Commission. That's what they think they're going to do. They make it up as they go along. They have no ethics. They have no honor. We are fighting a dishonorable enemy here for the future of the Trump administration. So while on the one hand, I have criticized, and I think rightly so, that Trump needs to get back on message here and get back on track with promises he made to all of us. But on the other We all need to be prepared for the vortex that is coming our way. It is going to be lawfare on steroids, and Trump is going to need every true believer and supporter he has to mount up shields high. You know, it's interesting here, Mimi. This is another win for the for the so-called Steele dossier. There's the question of whether there's the tape that exists that was brought up in the Steele dossier, which is, by the way, looking better and better as more charges are brought. Nothing. Nothing in that dossier, the Michael Steele, the the Christopher Steele dossier, has been proven to be wrong. When I read the Steele dossier when it first became publicly available, what occurred to me as somebody who used to do this for a living is there were a lot of details that should have been easy enough for the FBI to run down and corroborate. There were sources that were identified with enough specificity that they should have been able to figure out who they were. You know, the incident where they go and brief Trump at Trump Towers, that's five months after this information started to come into the FBI. And the thought that they hadn't corroborated it by then, and yet they were using it as information that was worthy of briefing the president-elect is just astonishing to me. It is astonishing, as our friend Andy McCarthy says there. It is. You know, we, we began that 
soundbite with a bunch of different, you know, mainstream media hacks all saying, oh, the dossier, the dossier looks real. Can't disprove the dossier. You know, if, if, if we don't know, let's assume it's true. You know, that's just craziness from these people. And as Andy points out, that the dossier was presented to Trump. This was this was really the compromise. You know, they often talk about how Flynn was compromised and that's why they had to talk to him, which was a lie. Sally H just cooked that up. But but they'll talk about how, you know, somebody has compromising information on Trump. The only people who really had compromising information on Trump were the federal government employees, the deep staters who showed up in a meeting with Trump to present him with this fanciful list of nonsense paid for by Hillary and the DNC. I mean, this whole thing, the fact that the Trump administration is under so much pressure and getting so much, uh, you know, such an assault from all these different legal angles, and nothing happens. Nothing happens to those who weaponize the intelligence community. Nothing happens to those who were so reckless and so abusive in their power here. And they were. There's no. There's no two ways about it. You to run a run FISA surveillance on Carter Page. I mean, you got to be blanking kidding me. On Carter Page. To run FBI and maybe even Intel assets against George Papadopoulos. This is all pretextual. This is all a few people with access and power, who hated Trump. Didn't like the idea of him being president, thought Hillary deserved it, wanted to make sure that that happened, and knew that when Hillary won, they'd be heroes. And then when Hillary didn't won, they had to they had to create a justification after the fact for all of this. This stuff, these same names keep coming up. I like to remind people, James Comey is the one who appointed Patrick Fitzgerald to be the special prosecutor, the special prosecutor who then went after Scooter Libby on, oh, that's right, lying under oath. That's all they got Scooter Libby on, lying under oath and obstruction, which is just essentially piling another count on top for for lying. So there's a history for these individuals. None of this should be a surprise. None of this is a shock. These are bad people who have been involved in the politicization of the Justice Department and the utilization of the federal government's power for partisan ends stretching back for years. But with Trump, they went all out. I mean, with Trump, it was break the glass, do everything you got to do. We've got to stop this guy. And yet Trump is the only one and, and people around him that suffer any consequences. It is, it is a grotesque injustice that Hillary Clinton faced nothing for her recklessness, which was, it was not just about, although that was, you know, the primary criminal issue. It was not just about the exposure of classified information to the server. It was also the fact that she did that because she wanted to evade records requests. She wanted to evade FOIA. She wanted to evade FOIA because she knew that People were going to be asking her for favors. And, the, and if, if there was ever any real transparency around the Clinton Foundation, then the whole house of cards would fall down. 
But, you know, do people still talk? Do people look at the dossier and and, and say to themselves, hold on a second, uh, you know, is, is this something that we ever should have believed? By the way, it's it's foreign. You want to talk about foreign intervention in the election? I mean, you hired a foreigner to use foreign sources and ran that to the FBI. That sounds like foreign intervention to me. You want to talk about collusion? That's collusion. I mean, that's working with foreign entities to try and uh, try and throw a presidential election. Very, very clearly so. You know, you know, John Ratcliffe, by the way, was talking about the Comey the Comey testimony here. You know, Comey's been doing his usual. Self-aggrandizing, grandstanding this week. That's that's Comey's favorite thing. Um, and and Ratcliffe spoke about uh, how you know President Obama was communicating with Hillary on this unclassified server. These people were all lying about how they didn't know that Hillary had this. There's no way they didn't know this was coming from some weird email address that was not a .gov email address. No way. Play eleven. He confirmed that President Obama uh, was communicating with former Secretary Clinton on an unclassified, unauthorized uh, server, uh, at least at one point in time while Secretary Clinton was in Russia. So it was fair to ask those questions. That wasn't any information that he volunteered. And so we were really trying to probe um, into that. Trying to probe into that. You know, Loretta Lynch was also down on on Capitol Hill today and. You know, not not a whole lot, not a whole lot's going to come of that either. You know, she's just not she's not somebody who under any circumstances, the the system would would ever hold accountable for anything, you know, charges against her. She didn't even recuse herself, folks, from the Hillary investigation, even though the tarmac didn't even recuse herself. They say, oh, Buck, that's why Comey had to step forward. No, she should have had to recuse herself. She should have had to take her medicine on that one. And Comey should not have bailed her out. She's a political appointee. That was her decision to sit on a private plane on that tarmac in Arizona with Bill Clinton while Hillary's under investigation by the DOJ, telling everybody to wait outside. That was her decision. She should have had to own that. But Comey wanted to bail. Why did Comey bail her out? Oh, because he figured Hillary was going to be president. Comey thought he had a chance to be a hero for Hillary and Hillary was going to win. You know, this was this was all about his own advancement. But yeah, Lynch today, I mean, here's what Representative Na- uh, Nadler said about this. Play 15. It was a total waste of time. We were simply rehashing uh, uh, things that have been gone, that have been gone over in public many times. Unfortunately, it was a waste of time. There was no universe in which they're going to press charges against Lynch. I don't know what has to or, or even hold Lynch accountable for anything. I don't know what has to happen for Republicans to wake up, but we are in a, a a state of lawfare with the left, but only one side is really fighting. They use the law as a weapon against us, and we get to have other conservatives lecture us about how we don't wanna we don't wanna hurt the rule of law and fight fire with fire. Well, okay, so that just means our side takes the casualties. It turns out the Congress is not entirely worthless, I guess. They managed to, in the Senate at least, pass a bill. Oh, look at this. Oh, my. What a shock. 87 to 12 overwhelmingly passed this criminal justice reform bill today. And in the Senate, it's got to go to the House, but it's expected to uh, easily get through the House. And, And people are all saying that 
Um, you know, it should make it to the president's desk this week for signature, and they're all so excited about this. And uh, look, I, I'm I am very sympathetic to look taking a hard look at the criminal justice system and uh, essentially making sure that we're not sending people away for uh, for longer than they should go. That you know, I mean, prison conditions. Uh, shouldn't be I, I will say one thing that I always I, I thought that Obama was I'm gonna say that I thought Obama was spot on I, I did not uh, I, I did not think that it was funny ever you hear all these jokes and Obama to his credit and some things Obama did were good let's not all let's not say that everything Obama did was bad all right it's not true uh, to to his credit he said that people in the pop culture you know hip-hop artists and comedians and others shouldn't make jokes about getting raped in prison. There's nothing funny about a man raping another man in prison. There's nothing to be joked about that. I mean, it's, it's horrific. Uh, it's, it's just, you know, it's the, it's the really the worst imaginable conduct. And there used to be this acceptance in the pop culture at some level of like, well, that just happens. Like, no, that, that should not happen at all. Um, sexual violence is never okay against anyone ever. And, you know, that was just indicative though of how, you know, prison conditions that should not be occurring in a in a in a civilized rule of law society. You should not be incarcerated and have to worry about getting getting you know raped, for example. So there were clearly areas of criminal justice that that need more attention. Um, and those who are saying, "Oh, Buck," and I, I get conservatives like to be a little bit uh, you know we we tend to say lock them up, you know, throw away the key. Okay, what about nonviolent offenders? You, know, you talk, talk to Bernie Carrick, who went to prison for, I think, four years for for more or less uh, taking some improvements on his home that he didn't report. You know, that, you know, went to prison for four years for that. And he was in, you know, he was in a, a federal prison with people that had done really bad stuff. He's not a bad guy. I actually like I like Bernie Carrick. You know, he's been a really uh, strong voice for everyone needs to think long and hard about how long we send people away and what we're sending them away for. You know, we, we need to stop this idea that just because you get sent to prison, your humanity no longer counts. You know, yeah, the different a different feeling about murders and molesters and uh, and rapists, but a lot of people in prison for not that stuff. So you got to remember that. Uh, the stuff that this, this bill does, the First Step Act, I spoke to members of Congress about this. It, it gets people out a little sooner for good behavior. It changes some of the three strikes. Um, three strikes situation so that you're no longer getting uh, life. You'll get 25 years as a maximum for three strikes. Um, 2,600 prisoners sentenced for crack cocaine uh, will get a reduced penalty. Uh, There's there's a whole bunch of things that it does. And and it's essentially trying to lessen some of the punishments, even out some of what has been done. And I think by and large, it's probably, uh, it's it's good. I mean, I think that this, this makes sense. Um, there are concerns that people will be getting out earlier who are bad people, and I understand that. And that's, you know, we do have a very high rate of incarceration in this country. We also have a, a plummeting rate of violence, although I, I am a little bit against the conservative orthodoxy here and that I think that technology has played the single largest role in the crime drop that we have. And, and I, I can't point to any study that tells you that, but just think it through. The, the proliferation of cell phones, video cameras, and instantaneous communication 
has has changed crime in, in a lot, and, and also the ability to use uh, digital footprint and and to, to track people through electronic means. It's just it's it's harder to get away with certain things, and the communication with law enforcement is a lot faster and a lot more efficient. So I think that's been driving a lot of this. And you look at the crime drop really has coincided with the proliferation of cell phones. Think about it. Crime in the U.S., yeah, it was going down for a while, but in the 90s, it got really bad in New York. And, you know, nationwide, you see as technology gets better, crime is going down. I, I know it's just a theory that I have. People may disagree with me on it. They got a lot of other things they'll say. Um, but, but here's the other part of this that, that I can't help but focus on for a moment. The Congress is, is about to pass and Trump's about to sign a criminal justice reform bill. All right, fine. Why is this, you know, is this the only thing that the Congress is really able to do? Are we supposed to accept that unless you have a supermajority now, you can't get, as a conservative, you can't get anything done? It really does feel like, you know, heads they win, tails we lose. It really feels like at a, at a time when we've been told that we can't expect there to actually be a wall, that it's not going to happen, it's not going to come through. Um, well, all right, but what about what about the fact that there should at least be an effort to do it, right? Why, why, why are we not even having this fight? Oh, but you got tax reform and you got criminal justice reform. That's not what MAGA was all about. That's not what the 2016 election was supposed to bring us. And, and I'm sorry, but... My feelings on the criminal justice reform bill are a little more muted than they would otherwise be because I, I get the sense that we're supposed to take this and, and, and be so you know thankful for the Republican action here. But this isn't something, you know, any administration could have done this. Any It was already moving in this direction too. Rand Paul and others, you know, Mike Lee, they've been pushing for this for years, for years. It's a little surprising that Obama actually didn't push for this. But I think Obama, when it came to policy, was disappointing in, in many ways, even to his base, even to the left. Um, the First Step Act is just what it says. It's moving in the right direction for a more, look, to say what it is, a more fair criminal justice system. Uh, there's a lot of talk now also about how there needs to be more done about sentencing and about you know, how long, you know, about mandatory sentencing. But right now, if you're, you know, if you go to trial and you're convicted of a federal crime, you serve the full sentence. So they're going to try to change that. And really, state prison is where a vast majority of the prison population resides. Federal prison is a pretty small percentage overall. So this doesn't, this doesn't tackle what they call the mass incarceration problem. Um, and it also doesn't touch at all upon the most serious federal crimes. So just remember that. There's no, you know, you can't be a uh, you know a human trafficker or a you know terrorist and and be covered by some of these lesser punishments some of these changes in the first step act but it's just hard for me to get that excited about this the same week that we're told basically there's not going to be a wall we're supposed to see this and say oh look how great this is we are uh, we are heading into some rough seas in 2019 with this administration and you know, they're going to have to do more than just take it on the chin. They're going to have to find a way to fight back effectively against the, the Democrat onslaught that's coming. And the, the First Step Act, that's uh, not going to cut it.
And soon the House will become the care of a new majority and what I know will be a spirited Republican minority. I wish the next leaders well. But it is, be, it is precisely because this is so momentary, it's because you are here for just a small part of history that you are inspired to do big things. And on this score, we have achieved a great deal. We have much to be proud of. Three years ago, when we last gathered in this hall, we began a great journey to set our nation on a better path, to move our economy from stagnation to growth, to restore our military might, and we have kept our promises. This House is the most productive we have had in at least a generation. To date, we have passed 1,175 bills, more than half of them with bipartisan support. Wow. Paul Ryan, outgoing outgoing Speaker of the House, saying that the most productive in a generation. He's like, we passed a lot of stuff. Yeah, like, what exactly? What, what that we should care about? Uh, definitely didn't get funding for a wall. Where is the, the MAGA agenda right now? Make America Great Again, as you know, is the rallying cry of all those who support Trump. An early Trump supporter. And one who I'm very much uh, curious to hear his take on on what's going on right now with the movement is our friend Raheem Kassam. You'll also hear filling in on the show next week. He's the author of No Go Zones and has a piece out on the DailyCaller.com today about Soros, which we will get to as well. Raheem, good to have you back. Hey, thanks for having me, Buck. Hey, man, what do you think about what's going on here? Trump is now saying, yeah, it looks like maybe we won't have a shutdown after all. We're going to come up with some kind of a deal and agreement. I- I'm concerned. Yeah, it's not great. Um, you know, there's there's no doubt to, to the early uh, MAGA adopters, uh, such as myself, uh, that the, the MAGA agenda is on the ropes at the moment. I don't think anybody should be trying to fool themselves that there's some cunning 4D chess plan going on here. You know, with the Mueller investigation and uh, with the, the loss of the midterms, you know, although it wasn't a blue wave um, per se, uh, this is the hardest point of the administration so far. And instead of um, I see a lot of people uh, sort of hunkering down and saying, oh, we don't need to worry about this. The president's got it all in hand. And I think we, we, what we should be doing, what people should be doing out there is, is doubling down, just as the establishment is now currently doubling down, uh, in order to take the fight to them, uh, not just at the next election, but, but in right in the new year. You know, 2019 is going to be uh, the establishment's year of retribution. We're seeing all of the things, whether it's the Trump Foundation and the uh, indictments and, and, and what's going on with General Flynn right now and the no border wall funding. We're seeing all of them coming together at the same time. And that's planned. It's not a coincidence. It's not something that's just sort of happened because it's been a couple of years and these things take a couple of years. They have always had this plan. And it's the same thing across the Atlantic as well. You know, the, the, the Brexit movement being thwarted uh, at its current juncture. The establishment always moves in step with, with one another, with itself. You know, they plan uh, together much more than our side plans together. They have all of their international conferences. They, they exchange information. They're in constant touch. Um, 
so it is it is a cause for concern. It should be a cause for people's concerns, and it, and it should be a cause for people to actually go out there, lobby their uh, congressmen and senators. And, and you know, as Paul Ryan just said, I mean, I remember when Paul Ryan was held up as a darling of the Tea Party movement. By the way, it's not about the number of bills passed, as you rightly pointed out, Buck. It's about what has actually got done. Now, there is one area in which this administration is still winning, uh, and that's in judicial appointments, whether it's on the Supreme Court or on federal judges. It has something to be very proud of there, that there are institutional changes taking place across the court system. And one might argue, in fact, I've heard uh, many people argue, that that is perhaps the most important part of this president's legacy so far and may well be his best legacy um, going forward into the future. But people wanted that wall built. You know, they didn't want... What did he tweet the other day? A, uh, an artistically designed steel slat wall. They wanted a big, solid brick and concrete wall. Um, people are realistic. They knew it wasn't going to happen across the entire border. But there are segments of it that they do know uh, need that. And this president, you know, I think should have. Um, and I think the, the impetus amongst his base, at least, was there um, to shut down the government over this and really take the fight to the Democrats over it. But... Um, the, the, the answer to why that's not happening is because the administration, it doesn't have a lot of people. It's, it's got fewer people at the, at the, on the front lines than, for instance, the Obama administration or the Bush administration did. And they're all overwhelmed. Over this Christmas season, I've got to spend a lot of time with them at, at Christmas parties here in Washington, D.C. And the prevailing consensus is, Raheem, we can only do so much. There are only so many of us. And they're not getting massive institutional support from the legacy Republican think tanks or the RNC um, or a lot of these sort of never-Trumpers or, or the November 9th Brigade people who just jumped on uh, the administration after, after the election. Um, so that's the situation as it stands. Sorry to go off on a bit of a rant. No, we, we wanted a rant. That's why that's why you're here. We want Raheem rants. Speaking of which, um, and by the way, I mean, I, I agree with you. I think that it's it would be delusional at this point to think that everything is just going swimmingly for the Trump administration. Right. I mean, that it's not helpful to anyone, no matter how much one wants Trump to be successful. It's not helpful, helpful to pretend that there aren't some some real drawbacks and, and pitfalls that that are um, that are either still out there or that are have already happened. Uh, but that, that all said, you know, I I, I I guess now we got to get ready for I've been saying you said year of retribution. I like that construction of it because it's true. I've been saying political trench warfare, uh, which I think is, is what we're going to be seeing. Um, but but also yeah. I want to ask you about your piece up on the Daily Caller today about how George Soros is named the Financial Times person of the year. What is up with that, Raheem? Yeah. Well, and that's that's the big tell. You know, um, the establishment refuses to learn any lessons um, from 2016, whether it was in Europe and the United Kingdom or whether it was here in the United States. Um, they've taken the approach that they can just wear down this movement, wear down this president, wear down this administration, wear down the global revolt against uh, the, the sort of uh, rules-based neoliberal world order. Um, and... and my contention is that they, they can't, but they are going to make a, a fair crack of it. And, and there are certain tells out there. And one of the tells is Financial Times, which is arguably the world-leading newspaper uh, alongside the magazine The Economist um, of that sort of traditional neoliberal world order. And they've decided this year to award their... Um, 
Manady, a person of the year, I'm sorry, um, to George Soros. And they said it wasn't just about what Soros had achieved this year, which is typically what you base person of the year on. It, they said openly that it's about what he believes in. Now, Soros is, is obviously a, a divisive and contentious figure um, across the political divide. But what he believes in effectively is, is a pure um, greed and profit motive for him, whether it means selling out countries, nations, states, identities, cultures, so on and so forth. And he's been very avidly clear about that. And I suggest people, if they can get their hands uh, on, the, um, on the Financial Times today or on the website, read that. Piece. It's a very hagiographic take of who George Soros is. Um, but it even goes so far as to lord him over owning many homes, uh, one of which in, uh, being in Marrakesh, near an orange grove, near the opulent Lamamunia Hotel. And they also, they also lord the fact that he wears um, a gold-plated hearing aid. Now, that, I think, tells us all we need to know about you know, who the standard bearer for the, for the political cause, uh, as far as the establishment is concerned, is. And it made me smile, at least, to know that they couldn't give this award to Angela Merkel, because she's leaving. They couldn't give it to Theresa May, because she's failing. They couldn't give it to Emmanuel Macron, because obviously the Yellow Vest protests in France are showing that he's also um, on the ropes. So they've defaulted to this 88-year-old financier who makes a living out of ruining other people's lives through his hedge fund and through his Open Society Foundation. And that, again, tells you they're ready to double down in 2019, and I bloody hope we are too. Raheem Kassam is the author of No Go Zones, and uh, you can read his latest on The Daily Caller today. He's got a piece up on George Soros. Raheem, great to have you, buddy. We'll talk to you soon. Thank you, bud. More bad news for Facebook this week, and you're just reaching this point, I'm sure, where you're like, how much more violation of trust can I endure from these guys? These left-wing organizations, these far-left social media platforms, enough's enough, right? Well, I've got a place for you to go snippy.com snippy.com is a new social media site without any of the biased or left-leaning nonsense and you know thousands and thousands of you have already joined snippy.com i'm hoping thousands and thousands more will join because they've been doing updates and they are really off to the races as a new social site snippy.com they do not shadow ban they don't do any of that stuff they're not sharing your information with third parties in egregious fashion to try to profit off your data none of that stuff's going on all right they have an updated user interface and exciting new features also available in the apple app store and for android snippy.com free to join free to post go check it out i was just posting yesterday snippy.com first of all president trump is is going to only support something that advances his position you know and he's laid out a number of things that he wants to do to keep america safe and build the wall and we're going to continue working with him on that uh if there's an opportunity for nancy pelosi to work with him president trump has already said he'll do that when the president says he's not going to back down from border security and that he'll find the money quote one way or the other it's because he has a solemn obligation to all of us including people who didn't vote and people who didn't vote for him to make sure that we are protected in our communities folks this is everybody's business this has to be nonpartisan. this is about border security it's a sovereign nation they're saying the right stuff aren't they they're telling us that they uh they will fight for a wall that President Trump is dedicated to border security, to getting us border security, and um, that there will be a wall. But 
I'm here to tell you there's not going to be a wall. Not unless something really profound changes in the next few days. And and this is this is a big disappointment. Ann Coulter today with her column. And, you know, look, I, I think some of you probably think Ann is great. Some of you are not such big fans. I, I, I've always really liked Ann, um, both as an author and as a person. She's always been very, very lovely to me. And, uh, you know, I'll never forget. I bumped into her once with my entire family. I mean, my, my siblings, my parents, my cousins on the streets in Manhattan. And she was just, you know, she took photos with us and she was just lovely to everybody. And, you know, I knew her at that point from working with her a little bit at Fox. Uh, but she was the one who gave Trump really the idea to run on immigration. And he read Adios America and went with it. You know, he read Adios America and took the argument and ran with it. And she also was the one who was saying Trump was going to win before anybody else. Well, here's here's what she writes today in her column. If you were elected president after decades of politicians doing nothing about the millions of illegals pouring into our country every year, committing crimes, dealing drugs, driving drunk, molesting children and killing Americans like Kate Steinle, and your central campaign promise repeated every day was to build a wall, wouldn't you have spent the entirety of your transition period working on getting it done? Wouldn't you have been building prototypes, developing relationships with key congressional allies, and talking to military leaders about using the CBs or the Army Corps of Engineers to build the wall? Wouldn't you skip the inauguration and take the oath of office in San Diego? So you could get started on supervising wall construction immediately after putting your hand in the Bible and being sworn in as the leader of the free world. You would if you meant it. Well, Donald Trump didn't do that. Now, obviously, Ann's being a little little facetious with some of that there. Uh, End quote, by the way, in case you couldn't tell. Um, But she's very frustrated. Uh, And I'm very frustrated because all along, I had this concern that Trump was saying the things... He was saying revolutionary things about what a president should do, what needs to happen in this country. He was talking about um, he was talking about the wall, but wasn't serious about it. I, I don't know if we can say that quite yet, but it's looking like that may be the case. When is the shutdown supposed to happen? When when are we going to be in a better place? I mean, here's what Trump used to say about shutdowns. Play 13. It's like pulling teeth, though. Getting these guys to get it done is... uh, And you have no idea how tough I've been. And I say, hey, if you have a shutdown, you have a shutdown. Now, the shutdown can also take place after the election. I happen to think it's a great political thing because people want border security. One way or the other, it's getting done. And you could do it before the election or after the election. If you do it before, there's a lot more pressure to get a great solution, but it's riskier. If you do it afterwards, there's less pressure, there's less risk. Uh, I'm just not sure you'd ever make as good a deal. That was in August of this year. Does that sound like somebody that is going to back down from a shutdown? Trump could veto it. He does not he does not have to allow this to happen. Trump does not have to go forward with business as usual on this, but looks like that's what he's doing.
And we haven't even solved, forget about, put put aside the wall for a moment, which is a big, a big thing to just set aside at all. He hasn't been able, now I know people say, oh, it's not his fault, and it's not, okay, guys, but, you know, we, we got to hold a, a politician responsible for fulfilling promises that that politician made. He didn't promise to, you know, to try really hard. He said there's going to be a wall. He said Mexico's going to pay for it. I never believed that that was going to happen, but, you know, it was a, it was a good applause line. Uh, and maybe that they were going to have some kind of a tariff or tax in place that would eventually fulfill that promise in some way. But it, I don't even care. I don't care if Mexico doesn't pay for the wall. I just want there to be a barrier so that we have real security at our southern border to stop the cartels, stop the drug smuggling. But Trump isn't even willing to do everything in his power. I, I would be more sympathetic here if he had done everything in his power to get that wall built. He has not done that. We have not gone to a shutdown. The government has not been shut down. We have not forced the Democrats' hand on this one. See where the American people are. See where the pressure is when it's clear that Democrats are unwilling to spend a few billion dollars to do something that will only help and could help a tremendous amount with our border with, with immigration. Um, you know, this is, this is uh, a difficult one. And there are some very good people out there who are making the case. I think Trump does have a lot of support for his immigration policy. I mean, here's Thomas Homan, who was acting ICE director. Uh, here's what he says about how there's just there are just scams going on with our border. Play clip eight. Most people are not legitimate asylum seekers. Violence is not a claim for for asylum, and and ninety percent lose it. What the politicians ought to be doing, rather than going out there and pulling a political ploy like they're doing, they ought to be here in Washington D.C. fixing the loopholes in our immigration laws that causes these caravans even exist in the first place. I've been up on Hill many times this past year with the secretary, close it, you know, raise the asylum bar, you know, address the Florida settlement agreement, uh, give ICE detention money so it's not back to catch and release. If they close these loopholes, they will stop a lot of this illegal immigration. But it isn't about protecting the border. It isn't about closing loopholes. It's about taking on the Trump administration. It's about politics, head of public safety and national security. Forget the wall for a second. They're not even doing other things that are necessary to deal with the illegal immigration crisis. They're, they're, they haven't closed the loopholes. We haven't figured out what we're going to do to stop family units from arriving by the tens of thousands at the border and claim asylum. By the way, for those who are curious, this came up recently. Uh, someone asked me this. Uh, refugee is somebody who wants essentially to claim asylum but does it from outside of U.S. borders. Uh, an asylee or someone who wants asylum is already inside the United States. So if you're in the U.S., you're you're asking for asylum. If you're outside the U.S. and want to come in, you're uh, asking to be a refugee. That is the difference. Um, but this we have not gotten this promise fulfilled, and we cannot forget this. And Trump needs to figure something out here. It's not over. Maybe he orders uh, he orders some funds shifted around. Maybe the military is able to start this in a meaningful way. But just telling us the wall is being built when it's not is unacceptable. You are now entering the Freedom Hunt Tactical Operations Center. All sensitive programs must be kept strictly need to know. Team Buck is cleared. Roger that. And ready for the Buck Brief. The decision to withdraw American, uh, an American presence in Syria is a... 
colossal, in my mind, mistake, a grave error that's going to have significant um, repercussions in the years and months to come. That's right. President Trump today has declared that we are going to pull troops out of Syria, and Marco Rubio is claiming that it is a, it is a huge mistake. It is a huge mistake. Now, now there's a lot of complexity involved in this, and, and there's a lot of different arguments that can be made. Let's together unpack some of this, shall we? Uh, we have a small contingent of U.S. troops in Syria right now. Uh, they are working with Kurdish allies on the ground and still engaged in operations against the Islamic State. Now, ISIS, despite President Trump's tweet today, has been beaten in battle, but is not eradicated. The movement has been defeated for now, but ISIS absolutely could rebound. One thing that I have to say, and this is an aside, but I can't help myself. One of the bizarre idiocies of the Obama administration, and on Syria you could talk for quite some time just about all of the mistakes that were made, all the, the lack of strategic vision, the lack of clarity of purpose, the spending $500 million to train, I think it was seven guys or something. I mean, just unbelievable ineptitude from the Obama team of so-called geniuses, including Obama himself, in dealing with the Syrian civil war. Um, but, you know, one thing about it that always really I just found bizarre was that Obama, you know, you notice no one calls it ISIL anymore. That was an Obama thing. The Obama administration and Brennan at the CIA and, and some, some executive branch Obama appointees insisted on calling it ISIL. And people that I knew in the intelligence community were always like, everyone calls it ISIS. Everyone calls it ISIS. Why do they, it's the Islamic State of Iraq and Syria. Why do they have to do this Islamic State of Iraq and the Levant? Or if you're really pretentious, you call it Daesh. Uh, at least Daesh is correct. That's the Arabic acronym. But people that are calling it ISIL, and Obama's, you know, it's going to be ISIL. We're going to do this. It's going to be ISIL. We're going to defeat them. And I always say, why does he do this? And the answer was because he thought it sounded smart. Just like the same reason Obama would say Taliban and Pakistan. It's like, he does not speak Pashto, okay? We don't need him to do this weird. But that was the thing, you know, with, with Obama, so much of it was just, he sounded the way smart people think a smart person is supposed to sound on these issues. You know, he, he, he spoke about them, used the verbiage that the, the elites would want. And so that, that to them is the signal that you're smart. Meanwhile, the decision-making in Syria was terrible, terrible. Uh, it was a disaster. Now, the Islamic State, because of, oh, that's right, another thing that the media doesn't talk to you about very much, a dramatically accelerated military campaign. And it was a Trump decision. He does not get much credit for it, but it was a Trump decision as commander-in-chief that really turned the tide. He said, you know what? The guys on the ground, the people out there on the battlefield, they determine." Not a bunch of people sitting at desks in D.C. The people on the ground in Iraq, in Syria, they determine what we have to go after and when we go after it with the airstrikes and with any other kinetic military activity in theater. You know what we call that? A game changer. 
the pace and ferocity of the airstrikes, uh, particularly since Trump came into office, was a was made a huge difference in this fight against the Islamic State, and it's what rolled them up and made them collapse as rapidly as they did. Uh, so that so Trump doesn't get credit for this; be sugar credit for it. Now, is the Islamic State eradicated? No, it is not. In fact, I actually just spoke to uh, former four-star general Stanley McChrystal about this, what, about a week ago. He said that the best open-source assessments now of how many fighters the Islamic State has under arms in Syria, somewhere in the neighborhood of 30,000-ish, which is what they had a few years ago when they rolled into Iraq and took Mosul. and So they still have a lot of people that they can call to arms but they've mostly gone to ground, right? They're now mixing in with the civilian population. They have one safe haven on the Iraq-Syria border that is roughly the size of the island of Manhattan. It's not a very big area, but they have one area they still fully control. And and then there are, you know, some other places where they've, as I said, taken refuge among the broader population. And, and this, this is classic counterinsurgency problem is that if you don't eradicate the virus, if there are only a few cells of the virus left, it, it could come back. And that's what we're dealing with with the Islamic State. Now, and that's the big concern in the, in, the, uh, in the short term, right? This is why people are, for example, Marco Rubio out there saying that this is a huge, a huge mistake and how could we, how could we do this? Oh, you know, Lindsey Graham, another one, Rubio and Lindsey Graham, play 14. It is my belief, but we won't know until we'll ask the appropriate parties, that this decision by the president was against sound military advice, that he did it himself, which he has every right to do, but he needs to own it. He does own it. I don't think the president has any problem with that. I got to tell you, I like... Kavanaugh hearing Lindsey Graham a whole lot. I want to just keep bombing everybody until there's no one left to bomb Lindsey Graham. I'm not sure that I can agree with that guy quite as much. You know, he's losing Lindsey Graham 2.0 from Kavanaugh is going back to 1.0. And that's there's a lot of neocon in in Lindsey Graham. I, I, I can't say that I particularly support some of his his never mind just the specifics of his foreign policy, but his inclinations. And now this is the, the, the big philosophical debate right now of what's going on in Syria is we've had U.S. troops in Iraq and Afghanistan for, well, I mean, obviously Afghanistan was a little earlier than Iraq, but we're, we're going on now two decades of this. It's, it's going to be like 20 years before we really realize, oh, my gosh, how long, have, how long are we going to keep troops in these two countries? And, and now there's uh, even more acceptance, I think, than ever before in foreign policy circles, at least, that the, per, that the uh, presence in Afghanistan and Iraq is a, is a permanent one, akin to what we have in South Korea, in Germany, and you know, in, in Japan, that we're just going to have bases there and, and a few thousand troops in each place to keep it all from falling apart. We don't want that in Syria, and we need to start scaling back in some of these uh, projection of power circumstances. Uh, we don't want to make this our fight. I mean, the, the U.S. history of, uh, and forget the U.S., uh, you know, the Western history of interventions in the Levant specifically, so Syria, and Lebanon, stretches back to now almost 100 years. 
of of unsuccessful military. It goes back to Sykes Pico and the Balfour Declaration. You know that era. How many people even would know off the top of their heads or would know, period, that the French, in the earliest days of the French Air Force, I mean, go back to the 1920s, the French were bombing Damascus because of unrest and 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 rebellion and fighting. Uh, this is not something that we want to be involved in. This is not a place where we want U.S. troops walking the streets or being in any position where they're going to be deployed on a regular basis and, and in harm's way. Um. Basically, we can't make all of this our fight. And I think Trump recognizes that. And this is, is Trump a sophisticated foreign policy thinker? No, he is not. Does he have good instincts? And does he understand the basics of who the good guys are, who the bad guys are, and what we need to do with the bad guys? Yes, he does. Which is more than you can say for the Obama administration. Clarity and decisiveness for the commander-in-chief are qualities you really need. He can... He's got the most impressive military in the history of the planet to lean on. But he needs to be clear about what he's trying to achieve as commander-in-chief and needs to be decisive. And as he has with the air campaign against the Islamic State, let the experts implement. You, you come up with the vision and give the authority. Let the experts on the ground implement. But I, I understand that the, you know, the concern is that if we pull out of Syria, there's going to be this domino effect. But the reality is we're still going to have troops in Iraq next door. So this is just slightly scaling back our presence in the region. This is not this is not a complete upheaval of, of a U.S. presence in the region that's going to lead to a, a domino effect and, a, and a, a cascade of of losses to our allies on the ground. So I think that that's an overstated issue. And I do think that the the basic approach here of Trump and those who, who are seeing this way is we, we just we got to stop doing this. No more wars to build other people's countries for them. Uh, we're, we're done with that. And one other side side note here. Assad has won the Syrian civil war. The Russians, the Iranians and the Assad regime accomplished what they wanted in Syria. But that happened when Obama was in office. And we're not going to change that anytime soon. We're not about to fight a war against Assad, and it would be insane for us to do so. And with that in mind, we also shouldn't have U.S. troops in that country because what will end up happening is as Assad grows more powerful and takes back more, more of his territory, then there'll be the real possibility of him wanting us to leave. And he wouldn't confront us directly, but what happens if all of a sudden people uh, under the guise of the Islamic State start getting uh, really more sophisticated what if we have a couple of massive truck bombings take out a hundred maybe 200 u.s troops you know what today is don't you if you go back and you look at history um you know this is this is a a, a day when i think we'll realize that we began to see the limits of what our mission should be and I think that's what Trump, I think that's what Trump is understanding. Um, so I know people are going to give a really hard time for this, but I, I think in Syria it's the right move. And I think also we're going to have to take a really hard look at pulling out of Afghanistan much sooner than a lot of the strategic planners are thinking.
What Russia has done here and where the true brilliance of this intelligence operation comes from is way back in the early 2000s, the Russian military conducted a strategic study and started carrying out a disinformation plan in which they said that instead of carrying out kinetic warfare against your enemies, the best thing we can do is create a disinformation frame around that nation to the point where over time, as we are constantly tearing them apart and feeding them with false information, they would actually welcome an invasion. Russian disinformation is not new. Disinformatia. It's not new. There you have one of MSNBC's favorite security analysts. They put on this guy, Malcolm Nance, all the time. None of this is new. The KGB was doing it for decades and decades beforehand. Russian disinformation, this is, this is in the in the, the very nature of the Russian state. There is absolutely nothing that is, uh, you know, we're looking at this now like this is some kind of crazy shock. We're in a period of hysteria over Russia. I mean, this woman, who Butina, who was, she's been held in solitary confinement. She's facing years and years in prison. She didn't even do anything. I mean, in terms of accomplishing anything, she didn't even manage to do anything. Didn't move any policy, didn't steal any information. She thought she was, you know, advocating for Russian interests and probably in some ways thought that it was places where U.S. interests coincided. I mean, I don't know. I don't know what she was really pushing for. Trying to get uh, Russian influence in the NRA. I mean, whatever was she was doing, it's not the scariest thing that's ever happened in this country by a mile. That's why Steve Schmidt's going on MSNBC saying it's the biggest crime in history. Oh, my gosh. A lot of the dumbest people that go on MSNBC are, are the uh, conservatives that they find, or the, or the former Republicans, I should say. Uh, speaking of which, I think I got Max Boot on my Hill show tomorrow morning. Oh, gosh, here we go. That's going to be, that's going to be, uh, I'm going to have to take a shower after that. Um, but Malcolm Nance is this guy they put on with Brian Williams. And, and he's really digging into this, too, because they had this report, the Senate report about how there's all oh, the Russian social media. The idea that Russian social media changed the election and is a strategic threat to the United States is insane. This is crazy. Even Nate Silver, who's like the statistics guru of the left, right? The 538 guy, for those of you who know, 538.com. Even he wrote yesterday that it's not even the top 100 reasons why Hillary lost the election. This is a lefty who looks at data all day, but he understands that spending a few thousand dollars, they spent like $4,000 on Google. You know? Spent $4,000 on Google ads. That's nothing. This is ridiculous. But Nance is telling that audience what they want to hear about Russia. Oh, Russia's so scary. Play two. They have amplified racism to the point where the alt-right, Steve Bannon's own creation of gamers, is now the wholly owned subsidiary of the Trump campaign. And our believers in David Duke, the Ku Klux Klan, Richard and Richard Spencer, uh, the neo-Nazi, and Robert Spencer, the Islamophobe, to the point where they're mainstreamed. This is how effective this information warfare campaign has been carried out. They went after to suppress the African American. 
American vote. And there is no doubt in my mind or anybody else's in the intelligence community that doesn't believe that it took American citizens to assist them in really getting down to where these voters were who needed to be suppressed. Wow. Uh, Malcolm Nance, this is why we ask you all the time to come on this broadcast. Wow. Uh, scary stuff, <laughs> but it needs to be said, needs to be heard. Wow. Thank you, sir, so much for joining us Thank once you, again. Thank you, sir. Brian Williams says, wow. <laughs> that was sheer lunacy. I, I played the whole thing for you because I wanted to hear it. But this is what passes for insight and analysis now in Democrat circles and on the left. The alt-right and Bannon and Blake, you know, before this, it was Halliburton and Cheney and the evil, uh, you know, machinations thereof. I mean, these people just, they can't handle it. They lost. You lost the election. All right. You lost the election. Hillary was a crappy candidate. Stop blaming Russia. Stop scaremongering with the alt-right. When was the last time you even heard about the alt-right? You even see the alt-right. What is the alt-right? It doesn't even exist anymore. It's like five losers who hang out, you know, in a basement somewhere. But who the alt-right and Bannon. When was the last time you even saw Bannon, speaking of people? This is just all nonsense. I'd like to start to get us into the Christmas spirit a little bit here. You know, I'd like us to be able to think a little bit about the holidays and Yuletide cheer and all that good stuff. And so with that, I, I will present to you one of my favorite one of my favorite viral videos out there right now about, I don't know what it is about little British kids. You know, some of you remember, Charlie bit my finger. And, you know, Charlie bit my finger. And I, I don't know about you. I've watched that video almost as many times as I've watched. We'll do it live. We'll do it live. Mm, blank it. We'll do it live. Anyway, another great. Was that, in fact, Bill O'Reilly's finest moment? In all in all TV history, Brandon, is that fair? What do you think? I it's, it's I a, agree. I, yeah, yeah, I think it's the most memorable. But little British kid, you know, Charlie bit my finger. He may actually have been outdone recently by a dad talking to his son, a little son named Jackson, about Father Christmas, which I forget is what what of course adorable little little British children call Santa Claus, right? Father Christmas. Uh, but but here's just a little I just want to share a little fun. I know policy and politics. We do this all day long. Here's a little bit of a fun video out there about Jackson and what he says he's going to do if he's not on the good boy list. Play it. You are absolutely. That's why you're That's why you're on the naughty list. I swear. Trust me. Well, that's why you're on the naughty list, because because you're being naughty right now. So you're going to be on the naughty list if you keep talking like that. Nice to me. Because you're being naughty, so you're on the naughty list. No, I'm not. I'm on the good list, actually. You're not because you, you're not because you ain't being good. I am on the good list. If you keep saying that word again and again and again, I'm not on the naughty list. Father Christmas rang me last night when I was at work yes. and said, you better tell Jackson to start being a good boy or he's going to stay on the naughty list and he won't I get no presents for Christmas. That's what he said to me. So you've got to start being a good boy. No, no, you won't do it. No, you would I'm going to this. Punch him. Punch his beard off. You're That's just silly, man. Trust me, I'm not on bad list. You're on the naughty list. Actually, I'm on the good list. I'm not on the naughty list. I'll uppercut. I don't know if you caught that. He kind of mumbled it. That's the dad, obviously, speaking to his son, but the, the little son goes, you know, I'll uppercut Father Christmas like this. He does this little, I'm not on the naughty list. 
Oh, man. Just if I had a cool English accent, just think about how uh, how fantastic it would be for radio. Sorry, guys. No cool English accent here. That's why I try to bring on. I bring on a whole bunch of cool English accents. We get Raheem. We get Charles Cook. We should have Tom Rogan back on. He's got a fat one, too. He's got an English accent right here. Uh, you know, he's, he's a fun one. Charles has the more laid back. Anyway, I'll stop talking about English accents. But I just thought, I thought that was kind of a fun one. Uh, I'm sure there'll be other fun Christmas, uh, Christmas sound bites that we can share with you. And, and maybe, Brandon, can we pull a little Christmas music maybe for some of our intros and outros here? You know, what are we? What are we? Uh, chop liver? You know, it'd be nice to get. Or can I still play dreidel, dreidel, dreidel? Oh, oh, dude, you can play dreidel, dreidel. Okay. Then we're cool. Yeah. yeah, there we go. Of course, man. Drop some dreidel, dreidel in there. When does Hanukkah end, by the way? I think it ended. I'm awful. Uh, I just wow. know what happened. I, no, I'm ob- well, I'm obviously not great <laughs> either because I didn't know. I thought, you know, the, the you, know, you know what? When people say Hanukkah song, do you know what comes to mind, Brandon? Adam Sandler. Of course. Yeah. Here comes Hanukkah, time for harmonica or whatever. I forget the words, but you get the idea. Uh, so, yeah, a little Jackson, a little bit of Hanukkah. we got some fun things to talk about. Oh, oh, and then there's there's this this lady over at, uh, oh, gosh, where is she? Uh, uh, Olivia Nutzi, who's a reporter for the Daily Beast. I actually met her once a long time, very briefly. Um, but But she says that Trump, who is fighting the war for Christmas, does not like Christmas. I think that oh, she's from New York Magazine. Oh, wait, New York Magazine. That's the magazine that employs the guy who said that I have daddy issues and I'm very lonely because I cooked a steak. That's right. That's the guy. He, he's the, the Pulitzer Prize winner in 2017 for criticism. And his criticism of me is that I cooked a steak and therefore I have I have daddy issues. By the way, a lot of people saw that and have, have since re- have either reached out to me or said something to me like, wow. And I said, yeah, no, I, I really, I, I should have had, you know, Miss Molly. Oh, anyway, I you know, forget it. Doesn't matter. She was right there with me, though, when I was cooking the steak. I was like, wow, calling me, calling me lonely and with daddy issues. That seems, that seems uncouth. That seems unnecessary. Here's what Olivia Nutzi of New York Mag, though, which is, uh, I think we could say a, a trashy publication. Uh, says about Trump and Christmas parties. Play 12. This person went on to say that Christmas is about, quote, the Lord Jesus Christ, and it's not about Donald Trump. Um, And that may explain his sort of aversion to celebrating this on a regular basis. But it wouldn't surprise me to talk about Christmas all the time. I don't think he's not very good at staying on topic when the topic is not Donald J. Trump. Even Trump, even Trump haters hate him when it comes to Christmas parties. You know, they say he's not even good at Christmas parties, which I, I would note, you know, Brandon, I, I don't have that much fun at, at work at work Christmas parties. You know, I'm not somebody that tends to spend much time at them because, you know, you can't you can't booze it up. That's a bad idea. Hmm. You don't want to be that guy that gets lit at the company Christmas party and, and starts, you know, starts Xeroxing parts of his anatomy. You don't want to be that guy. And so, you know, you end up just sort of standing around and talking to everybody. I understand it's a nice, it's nice, people do it. But I I hear stories about Christmas parties that people used to go to back in the 90s, you know, back when people could still do fun things. And those Christmas parties sound awesome. Christmas parties today, it's like we're all sitting around drinking juice and, and, uh, you know, maybe eating some, 
don't know, what do they even serve? I mean, obviously general cocktail fare, but what's Christmas food other than baked ham? Cookies? Yeah, Christmas cookies. Oh, eggnog. That's what I was trying to think of. Eggnog. I'm not really an eggnog guy. First of all, now I'm going to sound like somebody that's, you know, watching his figure. Uh, but eggnog, if you look at it, is you might as well have a chocolate milkshake. And so if, it, if my choice is between a chocolate milkshake and eggnog, I go chocolate milkshake. I don't care what time of year it is. Am I making sense here, Brandon? Or is this just too random for you? No, I'm into it. I agree with you. I think uh, like a Christmas party, like an office Christmas party is just hanging out after school because you can't do anything. It's so, kind of like more work. Then yeah. you guys end up talking about work. It's like, no, yeah, I'd rather be home that's right. in it my extends, underwear. You know, It extends the work day. You know what they should do? They should let everybody sign a, a release that this is not actually a work function for legal purposes, so you can't get in trouble for what you say, or you know, <laughs> you're just a normal citizen. I think you're you not, should bring you know, that up to HR. You're not responsible for office conduct. You can just kind of hang out. Then office parties would be fun. I mean, I, I remember at the Blaze office party a few years ago, there might even be video of this. Buck Sexton may have done some Gangnam Style. You know that, that I think that happened. Um, but now it's this is not really a thing that people uh, people get so excited about. You know they they don't really don't really let it rock out. I'm not a big eggnog guy. Um, I'm definitely not a pumpkin spice latte guy. And I'm finding now that people have like pumpkin spice latte air freshener, and this is just atrocious. By the way, if that video of you doing Gangnam Style came out, then I would assume you're lonely with daddy issues. Well, thank you. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, could, I could take that. Gangnam Style, man, that was a phenomenon for a while. That video, at one point, if you recall, was the most, I think it was the most watched YouTube video of all time. Oh, speak, it's, from, it's from South Korea. Uh, that guy's name was Sai. Uh, oh, for, I'm, I'm taking you guys back. I know almost as annoying as the Macarena, which was also inescapable for a period of time. Do you know that uh, Aquaman, which is out in international release? I don't even know. Is it out in the U.S.? I don't even know what's in the theaters now. But Aquaman has made uh, Brandon two hundred and fifty million dollars in China alone. That's insane. And. The thing is, I'm, I've heard that it's a terrible movie, and I don't understand why they have to make these bad superhero movies. In fact, I would like to have a great Christmas superhero movie made, you know? They should have, yeah, Batman Begins, or no, Batman Returns, rather, not Batman Begins. Batman Returns was a Christmas movie, but it was a little dark and depressing. I'd like, Doesn't the know, new Deadpool a, uh, feature Christmas? I th- wait, I, I think you're right. I think Deadpool might have. The new one. I don't know if it's come out yet, though. I think Deadpool might have some Christmas stuff going on. I, the first Deadpool was great. But this is, the, this is what I always say. The reason why these superhero movies generally stink, although I like the first Deadpool movie, is because they're made for the international market. They're not making it for Americans to go see. So, of course, you're going to have a lot of CGI because they're really just going to throw up on the screen all this, uh, uh, you know, different flashing lights and boom, bang, lots of stuff. And Because when you put the subtitles, who cares, right? So... I, look, I, I think Jason Momoa is uh, pretty excellent at what he does. I loved him in uh, Game of Thrones, but uh, my understanding is Aquaman is, is, is garbage. That's disappointing. But I'm just thinking about movies I might see over the holiday season. I'm getting into Battlestar Galactica, so maybe we can all start talking about that. But let's talk about the Second Amendment and some infringements on it coming up. Background checks are essential. Every business has got to have them for new employees, right? This is just a, it's a liability issue. It's a sound business practices issue. 
and you want somebody that you can trust that will tailor a background investigation program to the needs of your company, large or small, whatever business you're in. That's why you need Global Verification Network. Global Verification Network is the only dual certified veteran owned background investigation. So this is a veteran owned business. And you know, we love supporting veteran owned business here on the show. They're headquartered in Chicago. I know the CEO personally. He's a great guy. He really cares about his business because he knows how important it is to get the information right, to make sure they get it to you efficiently and quickly. That's why whenever you call Global Verification, they're going to answer the phone. Speaking of which, Call them. Tell them you heard about them here on the Buck Sexton Show. 877-695-1179. That's 877-695-1179. Or go to mygvn.com for all your background investigation needs. Global Verification Network. The bump stock ban is going into effect. We mentioned this yesterday on the show. And I've got to tell you, you know, this is one of these, this is one of these areas where at first I, I was kind of okay with the idea in fact even the nra so don't don't blame me even the nra was favorable to a bump stock ban after the horrific mass shooting in las vegas uh, which which involved the guy who had some some rifles with bump stocks on them some without bump stocks but i figured this is this is a novelty item to me initially when this when this came out and, and I I knew what a bump stock was. I've I've never fired with a bump stock. I mean I've I've fired all kinds of stuff, but I've never fired anything that had a that had a bump stock on it. Um but to me it was almost a novelty, meaning that this would be like lawmakers saying, you know, we're gonna ban chainsaw bayonets. Which, if you remember that USA Today article a while ago that had the chainsaw bayonet, which spawned some of the most amusing memes on the on the internet um the chainsaw bayonet ban would not be a big problem for me i I do not think that we would have destroyed the second amendment or the second amendment would no longer matter if we were a place that no longer had chainsaw bayonets right because they're not really and that's kind of how i thought of bump stocks i thought of them as unimportant but the, the the problem with the second amendment haters out there the problem with the gun grabber crowd is that if you give them a bump stock, they'll take your AR. I mean, you know, if you give them an inch, they'll take a mile. Um, and that's what that's what the real concern is here, because this is not and, and hat tip to our friend Sean Davis yesterday who mentioned this. And, and I did a little more reading on it today. Um, this could be a big problem. You have this you, and you have a few issues with it. First of all, the, the idea that the government could with just the an act of of the DOJ and an executive order turn you into a felon who faces 10 years in federal prison unless you take a a prescribed action in this case turning in a a device that you had legally legally obtained that's a that's a scary thing uh, that's a power that should not be taken lightly and this is also my my pro- one of my problems with what you see whenever they impose new magazine restrictions. I don't mean like, ooh, you can't have Maxim magazine. It's too naughty. I mean, you all knew that. I, I know. Wah, wah. I'm sorry. It's late. Bad joke. Uh, I, I, you know, I'm just trying not to be one of those journos who says a clip. I don't want to I don't want a 10 capacity clip to be allowed because, as you know, it's not a clip. It's a magazine. Uh 
but the magazine restrictions sound like they're you know not that harmful until you realize well in some places it means that some some person is going to be at the range a lawful gun owner is going to be at the range and an undercover is going to be at the range you know checking on people's stuff because this happens i nypd guys have told me about cases about uh, things like this and they'll see you've got a, a magazine with a greater than 10 capacity and all of a sudden you're arrested and now they're gonna make you a criminal based on a, on a law that's stupid to begin with that doesn't really do anything so so there's a lot of reasons why you've got to be very cautious when they start doing this stuff when they uh, start not even legislating about the Second Amendment, but just dictating. I mean, this is a this is the Department of Justice saying now that if you are an owner of a bump stock, uh, you are you have 90 days or else you will be subject to felony prosecution. And what they're doing is by by an order of the DOJ. Remember, it's not even an act of Congress, so it's not like, you know, this is just government overreach. They're saying that a bump stock effectively turns a semi-automatic rifle into a fully automatic rifle. And that is not true. Hashtag not science. This is inaccurate. Uh, This is not a question of, you know, what we believe or what we'd like to think. This is just false. Uh, Everyone listening to this show, I'm sure, already knows, and many of you know in much greater detail than I do, the differences between the actual firing mechanism of a semi-automatic versus fully automatic and what goes on inside uh, the receiver and, and how the, the gas operation works and the trigger mechanism. and uh, But the easy way to remember it is uh, semi-automatic is you pull the trigger, it fires once. Fully automatic is you hold the trigger down, it keeps firing until you run out, or you no longer depress the trigger. And they're saying that a bump stock makes a semi-automatic fully automatic. That is not true. And in fact, modification of a semi-automatic to make it truly fully automatic is very illegal. Um, and And fully automatic weapons have been uh, strictly regulated by the government. I mean, you have to get special federal permission that takes a long time. It's not easy to do. Um, you know, you have to get special permission to own one. And a machine gun that's that's manufactured after 1986, if you own that, uh, that is that results in in a long prison sentence. So here's why this is so problematic. Not only are you now making, uh, possibly, I don't know how many, I don't know, I don't think anyone knows how many people own bump stocks. I'm guessing it's probably in the thousands, maybe in the tens of thousands, but I have no idea. That is a guess. But not only are you putting people now in a position where they could be subject to, uh, they could be subject to prison time, you're also setting a precedent whereby any executive branch, like, for example, if there was a Democrat president, a Democrat Congress calling the shots all of a sudden, any executive branch could come along and say, you know what, we're just going to ban this type of fill in the blank. And if you don't like it, tough. And the constitutional test about common usage in D.C. v. Heller doesn't doesn't hold muster anymore. We don't care. And this is confiscation. I mean, this is forced confiscation. So it's not even a ban on future sale. This is you have to turn in this thing at the federal level, top down. You can see how this all of a sudden gets abused. They they can redefine firearms terminology so that they will cover it under a previous federal law or they'll they'll shoehorn this into a federal law that should not apply. And then they can say at the national level, you got to turn this stuff in. This, This does not end well. 
this is not a, a place that we can just skip over it and say, uh, you know, who really cares? This is for Congress to do. And, you know, as my friend Sean Davis writes here, if the government can get away with lawlessly declaring a piece of plastic to be a machine gun, then it can get away with saying your AR-15 is a machine gun, knocking in your door, confiscating your guns, and throwing you in prison. End quote. Sean's right. So, bump stocks, this ban is not okay as constituted. What is that? Who wants to guess? Who can guess what that is and what that comes from? Brandon, I didn't I didn't tell you what that audio was. I just sent it to you. What do you know what that was? Well, you labeled it something, so I know what it is. <laughs> okay, but what movie is it from? Isn't it from Ninja Turtles? No, but not a bad not a bad okay. guess. Okay. That is the most iconic nunchaku scene in the history of film. That is Bruce Lee from Enter the Dragon when he takes some nunchucks or nunchaku off of an attacker and then has that moment that is probably one of the most very famous Bruce Lee moments of all time, actually. Um, And you might be saying, Buck, why why are you telling us about about nunchucks? People call them nunchucks, nunchaku, nunchucks. Uh, the, the, The truth is that it's actually in the news right now, believe it or not. I, I've got good news for you when it comes to uh, your ability to carry a weapon that I don't think is a particularly useful one, but, but it looks cool. Uh, a judge in New York, no less. A federal judge, U.S. District Judge Pamela Chen, struck down New York's nunchuck ban as unconstitutional earlier this week. Did you know this one, Brandon? I did. I hear. I heard of that. Is that pretty awesome? I think. I mean, so. apparently, this is still America. You can walk around, eat a Big Mac, and carry your nunchucks, driving your pickup truck with a big old American flag out the back, in peace. I think this is. I think this is exciting. Do you own Turns a pair? Turns out that gonna, do you own a pair? No, I I couldn't. In New York, it was illegal. They'll they'll arrest you for it, which is insane, by the way. It's two sticks with a string between them. Makes no sense at all. But New York, in 1974, banned the the weapon known as as nunchucks, um, along with brass knuckles, because kung fu was really big. And people actually saw the movie Enter the Dragon, and they saw what was done with nunchucks in that movie, and they thought, oh, gosh... It must be so incredibly dangerous, these nunchucks. So they banned them. It was, it was a criminal violation and considered a deadly weapon. Um, and and that, was, that was the way it was for, gosh, over, over 40 years. And now finally, to the uh, karate enthusiasts in the audience, you can carry your nunchucks. I like to say nunchucks, even though that's not really... It is nunchaku. For those who really want to know, nunchucks, they believe, uh, come from a flail that were used in Southeast Asia for the purpose of threshing rice or soybeans. Um, 
people have come up with different reasons or di- different uh, etymology for this thing. It is common in Okinawan karate, and it has also been picked up by other martial arts as well. It is two sticks that are uh, connected with a with a string or with a chain, and and I will say that the um, the, the the nunchuck is is among the coolest to watch somebody you know play with, but also if you hit yourself with them, because I may have I may have fiddled with some nunchucks in my day. Brandon, you don't want to you don't want to catch yourself in the nose with them. It's not fun. And other you know? places, among among other places, there's <laughs> definitely some. If you go on YouTube and you check out some nunchuck fail, ooh, it is a it is a reminder that there are really two kinds of people: trained and untrained. And when you're playing with with nunchucks, you want to be you want to be trained. So you you can. It, it is a good day, a good time for. Uh, for the Second Amendment with regard to nunchucks. Not so good with the bump stocks, but definitely better. And, and it reminds me that my favorite Ninja Turtle um, by personality type was always Raphael. But Michelangelo of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles that you brought up, he was the nunchuck guy, and, and I think that that was probably the coolest weapon. Yeah, I think so, too. And it's funny. They should have banned it. Uh, I kept it banned because when I was, I would say this facetiously, when I went to see the Ninja Turtles at Radio City Music Hall, they had a musical back when I was a kid. They sold uh, nunchucks uh, outside the place, like uh, foam. I was using it like Michelangelo, and I hit my brother in the face, and I was grounded for two weeks. True story. Wow. Two weeks, man. They didn't, me- they didn't mess around in the Brandon household. I know. I got violent. I wanted to... Uh I had I had foam a foam version of it when I was a kid because in the eighties there was that martial arts craze where they were opening up karate dojos everywhere, uh, but but then then things now with mixed martial arts people actually see how how fighting tends to tends to go down and usually and every time I say this somebody someone who's like I'm a ninth degree black belt sends me a message and gets mad at me I'm just saying for most of us okay for us mortals a spinning roundhouse kick. When you're leaping off the top of a, the roof of a car is not a great move to pull in a street fight. I just from what I've seen, from what I'm told, that's. But nunchucks are legal in New York now, according to this judge, under the Second Amendment, by the way, because they're saying that it's a weapon in common usage before they banned it. There you have it. The show ain't over yet, folks. Keeping it real. Time for roll call. I can't believe how few days there are left for roll call for anything in 2018. Uh, Just a little preview next week, my friends. I am going to be taking a few days off. Um, so that means that, uh, I'm going to be hanging out with family and Miss Molly for the holiday. And, uh, the good news is though, I have a lot of excellent fill-in, uh, guest hosts scheduled for next week. I mean, people that you're really going to want to hear from, you'll have uh, Raheem Kassam in the mix. You'll have Harlan Hill doing his thing. I think Harlan's a first timer. Um, also going to see if we can get, uh, the Godfather, Dr. Mike Opelka in the mix again. I guess not technically a doctor, but you know what I mean. And uh, maybe even Ben Weingarten, if uh, if we can 
make that happen. So we've got some great guest hosts. So don't think that the, the HUD is not going to be a rocking next week. And then once we get into the new year, oh, they're not going to be able to pry this microphone out of my hand. We're going to have a lot of work to do. Uh, but I just wanted to give you that heads up for next week. So don't think that there won't be action in the Freedom Hut. There will be. There will be every day next week. So uh, make sure you tune in and hear from some of our favorite guest hosts, some of our favorite buddies. I, with that, that was kind of an I that got a little a little more guttural than I intended. But I, here we go. Let's see what the action is. I want some new Facebook messages. Uh, well, not new messages. We get a lot of those. Well, I want those too. I want new people to write though. I've got some of my, my usual buddies uh, lighting up the box, which I appreciate. But I'd like to hear from some of you folks out there who have never written before. Facebook.com slash Buck Sexton is the way to do it. So now that we've established that, we can get into it. Uh, first up in this piece, we've got Michael who writes, Honey glazed hams are baked, not roasted. Best stay back on those skis, dude. Well, Michael, savor the flavor because you are correct on this one. Honey baked hams are baked and not roasted. So I guess I just I just lost out in the in the pork knowledge contest. So there's that. Speaking of knowledge, I think I'm going to do a filet mignon tonight. And I even have a lobster tail that I managed to get that I might I might make my own surf and turf, baby. That's how I roll. Lisa writes, can someone please tell the Republican Party that we don't care about a government shutdown, but we do care about border security? Well, Lisa, I think you might know from listening to the show that I'm with you 100 percent on this one. I'm I'm uh, doing everything that I can here to get the word out. I'm disappointed, disappointed with Trump on this one. And this might be a recurring theme because the president You know, it's one thing for him to be slapping around CNN on Twitter and doing all the stuff that he does when I feel like he's trying to execute on the agenda. But I I did not, in fact, vote for President Trump for his funny Twitter game or his sparkling personality. I definitely didn't vote for him for his personal ethics. I voted because he made promises as a politician to fulfill an agenda and to take this thing all the way to the promised land, so to speak. And that is not exactly happening right now. I'm not saying he has failed. I'm not saying I don't support him anymore or anything. I'm just saying we have to keep him honest. We got to call balls and strikes. And this unwillingness to make the wall a essentially sine qua non, right? Without which what? Uh, it's not not going to fly. It's not going to fly with me. I'm. I think I'm... Uh, I'm annoyed by this, and I I can't hold it back. Uh, Thomas writes, It's a great day, Buck. President Trump has spent two years de-escalating the Middle East conflicts and has reached a point where DOD is confident we have outlived our welcome in Iraq and Afghanistan. He announced we will be withdrawing troops from Syria, and their support in Iraq will follow. I'm hopeful we'll hear an announcement in a few weeks that troops in Iraq will be fully withdrawn by March. The scale down of troops in Afghanistan will begin in February and completed by the end of next year. It's time that the leadership of those Middle Eastern countries decide their own fate. We will be watching. Shield tie. Well, Tom, I I don't know. I don't think that he's going to pull troops out of Afghanistan. And I, I think he might even balk at pulling troops out of Iraq and maybe even Syria, too. 
in Syria, we've got a relatively small footprint, and so that's a much that's a much easier operation than it would be in some of these other places. You know, we we shouldn't be rebuilt, rebuilding these countries, though. We shouldn't be the ones who are in charge of making a successful nation in any Middle Eastern country. It's not our fight, and and I have tired of this, and I think the whole country has tired of this, and and it's a lesson. It's a lesson that we have learned. Even when you are the hegemon, even when you are the superpower of the whole world, you can't want a decent rule of law, representative democracy more than the people in that country. Sometimes they want it too. Germany wanted it too. Japan wanted it too. Do the Afghan people? Some of them. Not the way that we necessarily would want them to, though. And not enough. It's just, and it's just not going to be our problem. It's not going to be our fight anymore. And I think that's a good thing. But I also would keep an eye on Trump backtracking on this one. The establishment is very much invested in us um, continuing. You know, they, I mean, you got guys like Rubio and others who believe, you know, Lindsey Graham. I miss, I miss Kavanaugh hearing Lindsey Graham. I don't like let's bomb, bomb, bomb everybody, Lindsey Graham. I, I don't think that's a good, a good idea. Carla, thank you, Buck. I was feeling discouraged today about the same things you were. The guests you had helped clarify the Flynn stuff, at least. I stayed up too late listening, but it was worth it. Well, Carla, thank you for giving me your time. I really do appreciate it. And I'm glad that you feel like you can come here. And and I, I bring on guests who I, who I respect and who I know bring something to the table. And they're not just going to tell you whatever they think that the uh, the overwhelming percentage of this audience wants to hear or that Republicans or conservatives want to hear. I'm going to tell you what they think is true. And I do the same thing. And that's a standard that I have for people that we put on this show. And I think we do a pretty good job of always sticking to it. You know, occasionally some bloviators slip in or also I try out new people. We put new people on as guests and I can't really know till I hear from them. Uh, but by and large, the the repeat, the repeat customers we have in terms of our guests are, I think, as, as good as, as anybody in this business. Uh, and they do, a, they do a phenomenal job. So I'm glad that they were able to illuminate it for you. And yeah, the Flynn situation was disappointing. Look, it's been a disappointing week for, for Trump supporters, for people that care about this movement and the populist conservatism that has been promised and, and in some ways acted upon. I don't really want to hear that much more about taxes, though, because, yes, we had some tax reform, but it wasn't sweeping. It certainly wasn't a flat tax or a fair tax. And that's establishment GOP 101. Nothing different about that. The thing that Trump has been most successful in thus far are his Supreme Court and federal federal court picks which he has outsourced largely to people who know more than him about that. But that's good. That's what he should do, right? And that's why he has experts in those matters. So his his uh, picks for judges and his ability to fight back against the media narrative and to create space for conversation that was, even under previous GOP regimes, disallowed because of political correctness, that's where Trump has been most successful. And also shining a real light on the media for being a bunch of clowns and a bunch of fake news jerks. But in terms of immigration, no, I'm sorry, not successful. Healthcare, no, I'm sorry, not successful. There are some areas where we have not won yet, you know, or, or haven't even seen real progress. 
You know, the, the border right now is as bad as it was before Trump came into office. That's just the truth. And I'm here to tell you the truth. Bob writes, Buck, been listening to you talk about wanting to learn how to cook. I've always liked to cook, but the past few years have really kicked it up. One of the best resources I found was a show called Good Eats. I really recommend you take a look. It's a combination of Julia Child, Mr. Wizard, and the Muppets. The main thing I like is that he teaches you why you do things a certain way. Shields high. Love your show, Bob. Well, Bob, thank you. I'll definitely check that out. I'm really I'm really working on my cooking these days. One, because I'm obviously trying to impress Miss Molly with, with new skills. And two, I am honestly too worn out from my day-to-day schedule, which is up at 5 a.m., done at 9 p.m., to be much of a much use in the gym. You know, I've definitely lost uh, whatever whatever muscle that I had acquired from previous gym outings from the last couple of years. Uh, some of you have probably noticed I got I got very lean and mean for a while there. Um, that is kind of fading away. So <laughs> I'm spending more time in the kitchen and embracing that. But I'll get back into the gym. I'm going to have to change my schedule up a little bit in 2019. But more on that later. Nothing will change on radio. So that's the good news. Uh, Shauna writes, can I learn more about your background? Well, Shauna, you could have just Wikipedia'd me before, but now there are people that have changed my Wikipedia page, uh, and deleted it. So that doesn't really work. Uh, if you Google me, you'll learn more about my background. There should be a fair amount of stuff up there, some interviews and things here and there, but, uh, yeah. Or you could just listen to this show and know that I'll occasionally tell you anecdotes or a little bit of personal stuff and... That's the way it's going to be. All right. That's it for, uh, for me, my friends. Thank you so much for hanging out with me here in the Freedom Hut, as always. I will see you tomorrow. Shields high. It's time for conservatives to no longer live by the leave of the left when it comes to social media. These big companies out there, Twitter, Facebook, they are dominated by progressives. And that filters all the way down, not just into their algorithms, but how they have terms of service violations enforced, all the stuff that they're doing. I got a place for you to go where none of that is a concern. Snippy.com. Snippy.com is a new social media site. And if you've heard me talking about it and check that out a little bit, go back and check it out again because thousands of members of Team Buck have joined Snippy.com and they're expressing their opinions and stirring up lively conversations. Like it's an unbiased social media site that's all about conversation and community. You got nothing to lose. It's completely free to join, free to post. Go see what you want to talk about there. Go find some other folks on Team Buck or find people who actually know about baseball, unlike me. S-N-I-P-P-Y.com. It's totally free. There's no shadow banning and no suppression of conservative thought ever. Now with an updated user interface and new features, it's available in the Apple App Store and for Android, snippy.com.